0: Well, it has been good to gather together this morning for worship and to remind ourselves of the good news, the gospel, Jesus Christ. And uh, for those of you who are joining us maybe for the first time, we are actually nearing the end of a series uh, called Jesus is the Reason for the Season. And seven weeks ago, we began a journey through the scriptures to track the unfolding revelation of Jesus Christ from the Garden of Eden beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and then we have worked our way all the way up to his incarnation. And as we have stopped and spent time at different passages along the way, we have been reminded that Jesus Christ is and always has been the central reality of God's plan for the ages. And we have affirmed that truth again today as we have shared the Lord's Supper together. And by God's grace, through the gift of faith, we have been blessed to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, to believe in His name, and be given the right to be called children of God. And I hope that through this series, the good news of Emmanuel, God with us, has brought some much needed assurance to your hearts and to your minds, as I know it has to mine, in the midst of the uncertain times that we currently live in. Times, by the way, that are very similar to the times when Christ was born. So today, as we conclude our current series, we arrive at our final destination in our journey. We arrive at a home in Bethlehem several months after Christ's birth where we find Jesus with his mother Mary being visited by some strangers. I would encourage you if you have the scriptures to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew where we'll be looking at chapter 2 and we'll be reading verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, by another route. This is the word of the Lord. While boring from the now very familiar poster produced by the British government in 1939 in preparation for World War II, when at that time the morale of the British public was being tested, much like maybe our morale is being tested currently, I have titled our sermon today, Keep Calm and Carry On. Keep Calm and Carry On. Now I wonder, how many of you would know what is scheduled to take place on Friday the 23rd, July 23rd, 2021? Any of you know what's scheduled to take place on that day? Well, if you said it is the date when the 2020 Summer Olympic Games are to begin, you are correct. They are to start in Tokyo on July the 23rd, 2021. However, Time will tell if the games will actually move ahead. But if they do, one of my favorite events to watch in the track and field competition is the steeplechase. Now if you're not familiar with the steeplechase, it is an event that is 3,000 meters long, so that's 7.5 laps around a 400-meter track, so just under two miles. Now I know for those of you who are avid runners, 7.5 laps around a track may not seem like too much of a challenge for you. For some of us, it is. But what if you added four large hurdles, three feet high, and spaced them evenly out around the track, which you must jump over while you complete your seven and a half laps? And then, why not? Just to add a little bit of element of fun to the race. What if I told you that after you jump the final hurdle, you will land in a 12-foot water pit? That's the steeplechase. A former Olympian describes this event as a long-distance hurdle race. Right away, I'm out of there. Imagine that, a long-distance hurdle race. That sounds so discouraging. Or he says it's like cross-country combined with human equestrian. Well, there are two reasons I enjoy watching this particular event. The first reason is the country I grew up in, Kenya, their athletes often do very well in this event. So I like to cheer them on and see how they're doing. But secondly, just watching the determination of these athletes to persevere and finish such a physically demanding race filled with obstacles and pits is inspiring. I don't know how sharp your math skills are this morning, but if you figured it out, they will actually jump over 28 hurdles during the race and land in seven water pits. And though very few of us will probably ever compete in the steeplechase, I am sure you would agree that over the past several months, it has felt at times like we could all very well be running in a steeplechase. All of us have faced so many ups and so many downs, and just when we feel like we're getting our footing and perhaps even gaining some momentum, we run into another hurdle or we fall into another pit. So how do we keep calm to carry on in the midst of difficult times? I believe we can find some help and encouragement for our journey from the Magi's experience, which we just read about. See, they were in a race during very bad times. And they had much higher stakes than winning an Olympic medal. They were in a race to find a king, specifically the king of the Jews. And the hurdles they faced on their way could have easily discouraged them from continuing on in their pursuit of finding this newborn king but they didn't. Listen how similar some of the obstacles they ran into are to the ones we currently face today. They ran into the hurdle of inconvenience and the unknown. Remember, these men were from the east, and the king was born in the west. In fact, it is estimated by some scholars that these men possibly traveled as far as 1,500 miles. That's 2,414 kilometers If you're still not sure how to picture what that distance is, it would be like walking from Oshawa to Edmonton. That is why up to two years had passed from the time they saw his star rise in the sky till they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Oh, and let's not forget, when they set off on this journey, they did not even know the exact location where the king was to be born. The hurdle of inconvenience and the unknown. Secondly, they ran into the hurdle of indifference. As you were reading that, did you notice when they arrived in Jerusalem, which was the most logical place for them to go to in order to look for help in locating the king of the Jews, no one seemed able or interested in helping them. Now the New American Standard Bible translation says they arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And the use of that word saying is very purposeful because it conveys the idea of a continuous action. You see, these men potentially numbering as many as 10 or as high as 30. I know traditionally we think there was only three. The scriptures actually never tell us how many there were, but we know there was at least two because magi is plural. But they were going around the city questioning everyone they met. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they kept asking. And as foreigners who knew of the, moment, the monumental birth that naturally, that had happened, that naturally they assumed anyone in Judea, and especially in Jerusalem, would know of the special baby's whereabouts and be able to help them. But that was not the case. And after traveling that far, it must have been very deflating, For the Magi to discover that no one seemed to know what they were talking about. And perhaps right now in the uncertain times that you and I live in, you might be feeling the same. You're looking for help and you just can't seem to find help. Or you're so discouraged because even when you go to look for help, no one seems to understand. The hurdle of indifference. But in their effort to seek help they encountered another hurdle. In verse 3, we see the hurdle of hostility. I mean, to say that these men were in um, not in friendly territory would be an understatement. I mean, here they were in a foreign country where the leader, Herod the Great, considers himself the king of the Jews. And by his actions, if you do some studying, we know that he was a brutal leader who during the latter years of his reign, which is when the Magi would have arrived and encountered Herod, he had become increasingly paranoid and cruel. In fact, listen to what history records. He had become so jealous of even his favorite wife, Right away, there's a problem. He has more than one wife. That on two occasions, he left orders. Listen to this. This is how paranoid he was. That she be killed if he failed to return from some dangerous assignment. Well, in the end, he killed her anyway. As well as her grandfather, mother, brother-in-law, three of his sons, and hundreds of his subjects. So hungry was Herod for control of power... Interesting, a problem evidenced by the events in our world this past week that continues to plague leaders even in our times. So hungry was he for the control of power that you will recall later on in chapter 2, the passage you read in verse 16, he ordered the death of hundreds of innocent boys in Bethlehem in his vain attempt to maintain his blasphemous title, King of the Jews. You see, the days in which Jesus was born are very similar to ours. They were difficult days, marked by poverty, deprivation, danger, disease, and oppression. And it was into these bad times, these challenging times, that the magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who is being born king of the Jews? While it would seem very obvious to anyone reading this historical event that the odds were definitely stacked against these non-Jewish men of accomplishing their goal of finding the newborn king in a town with a paranoid leader who considers himself the king of the Jews and who has shown no issue with removing anyone who he feels threatened by. The hurdle of hostility and then finally They even were faced with the hurdle of political pressure. Yes, do you recall what it said in verse 8? Herod said to them, this brutal king, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Hurdles, obstacles that they faced on their journey, very similar to what we face Today. So what kept these men calm to carry on, traveling 1,500 miles in the midst of these difficult circumstances to find this newborn king? Well, I would suggest there were at least three things that they did. Three insights that I noted while I studied this passage this week, which we can apply to our own journey that will help us to keep calm and carry on in the midst of bad times. The first thing I noticed about these wise men is they relied on the word God. Of God. They relied on the word of God. I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered how these men from the east knew what they did about Jesus when they saw his star rise in the east? How as Gentiles did they have so much knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures to understand the prophecies surrounding the coming king? Well, knowing a little background to who these men were was helpful to me this week in answering those questions, and I hope it will be helpful to you as well. Anyone who is familiar with this event knows these men were astrologers. They were students of the stars. However, it would be a huge mistake to think of them as just some kind of isolated neighborhood stargazing club. You know, like clubs we have in our own neighborhood. Jen and I live across from a small elementary school. And its soccer field in the back is the congregating place for A dog club in our neighborhood. All the owners who have dogs have begun to build relationships with each other, and you see them faithfully meet in that backfield so that they can enjoy some time together and their pets can play with one another. Now, that's a club, but I really don't think those people have much influence on what's going on in our city or in our region. But that was not the case with these magi. No, they were more than just some neighborhood star-gazing club. Yes, they were astrologers. But in addition, because of their knowledge of science and agriculture and mathematics and history and the occult, they became very prominent, high-ranking officials with power and influence in both the religious and political affairs of their land, which was Persia, subsequently the Babylonian Empire. You see, that is why their questioning of the citizens in Jerusalem caught Herod's attention and caused him to be disturbed, literally to be in turmoil. And the scripture said, "In all Jerusalem with them, because this group of men were not lowly shepherds. They were a powerful group of advisors, and he knew they were men of influence. Quick time out. What I love about that is the grace of God reaches both the lowly shepherd and the high, powerful people of influence. Isn't that something? But that is why they caught Herod's attention. It was because of who they were. So how did they know all this knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures? Well, their ancestors were influenced by Daniel. Listen closely as I take you through this. It's so exciting. Remember when Daniel was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar? and taken to Babylon along with his buddies Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, listen what it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. It says, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, listen closely now, And placed him in charge of all its wise men. Why? Because Daniel was able to interpret the king's dream. Something the local Babylonian magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers were unable to do. So because of Daniel's high position... And the great respect he had amongst these men, it seems certain that the magi of Daniel's time learned much from him regarding the one true God, the God of Israel. And listen closely about his will and plans for his people through the coming of a glorious king. And their knowledge would have then been passed on to the following generations of Magi, causing the Magi we encounter here in Matthew's gospel to be familiar with Daniel's prophecies, including Daniel's reference to the timing of the coming Messiah in Daniel chapter 9. Wow. Do you see how the incredible grace of God was working all things out for the Magi that we see here in Matthew's Gospel long before they began their journey in search of He who has been born King of the Jews. This should bring great encouragement to our souls. Don't allow the bad times you and I may be going through to cause us to doubt if God is working all things out. For we know, Romans 8, 28, that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. But it gets better. Listen to this. The magi here in Matthew chapter 2 would have also been familiar with another fascinating Old Testament messianic prophecy, which God actually delivered through one of their own ancestors. Yes, yes. Named Balaam in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. You will remember in Numbers 22 and following, Balak, the king of Moab, had become afraid of the increasing power and might of God's people as they journeyed from Mount Sinai to the edge of the promised land. So what did he do? He called on the service of a man. Where from? The east. The same area where these wise men were from, named Balaam who practiced magic and divination. And Balak hired him to actually curse the people of Israel. You can read about it in Numbers 22, verse 6. But as the story unfolded, God made it clear to Balaam that he is not to curse the Israelites, but to bless them. And listen to what he prophesies in Numbers 24, verse 17. This is so amazing. I see him, but not now. I behold him but not near. A star, a symbol for light, will come out of Jacob. A scepter, a symbol for authority and kingship will rise out of Israel. Amazing. Here we have a man from the east prophesying of a coming star and a king among the Jews. And these wise men in Matthew's gospel would have known of their ancestors' prophecy and its meaning because Daniel would have spoken to their ancestors about its meaning. Isn't God's grace incredible? He is so working behind the scenes of what you and I are going through. So in the midst of bad times, these wise men from the east relied on the word of God. And by his grace, they understood it well enough to believe that this child was the promised king of the Jews, the promised Messiah, and they should follow the star. You see, what God had foretold through Balaam had now come to pass in the birth of Jesus Christ. And their belief in what God had revealed in the scriptures was evident by their response they displayed an unwavering reliance, a dependency in the truth of Scripture, and that reliance enabled them to remain calm and carry on, in spite of the hurdles they would face on their journey to find the one who has been born King of the Jews. I want us to take a few seconds and contrast their response to that of the other group of prominent influential men we run into in this passage, the chief priests and the scribes in verses 3 to 6. These were the men who made up the temple hierarchy. They were professional Jewish Hebrew scholars whose expertise was explaining the meaning and application of the law of God as revealed to Moses in the first five books of the scriptures. Notice though, Unlike the Magi, they knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born. Look at verse 5. Herod asked them, no hesitation. They didn't even have to think about it. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote, From Micah chapter 5 verse 2, the prophecy about Bethlehem. These men had all the answers but showed no interest in investigating the truth for themselves. They responded with indifference to the truth that they had in their hands and their minds. But unlike the Magi, it never made it to their hearts and therefore made little impact on their lives. Think about it. They knew where the Messiah was to be born and were only five miles away. Not 1,500 miles away. But showed no interest in going to worship the newborn king. That is why later in Matthew chapter 15 verse 8, you will recall that Jesus calls them out using a prophecy that Isaiah had made regarding these temple hierarchies saying, these people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. There's a warning in here for us, brothers and sisters. In bad times, in difficult times, in challenging times, simply knowing the truth, having only a head knowledge of the scriptures, without believing faith to trust and rely on the truth of God's word, will not keep us calm to carry on. And an unchecked attitude of indifference to the scriptures will sadly often progress into hostility towards the truth. And in Matthew chapter 26, we see the same group of religious leaders plotting to kill Jesus. The wise men relied on the word of God in the midst of difficult times. The question you and I have to ask ourselves today is, what am I relying on to keep calm and carry on in the midst of challenging times? To keep calm and carry on in bad times, we would be wise to do what they did. We must rely, hold tightly, treasure what God has said in his word and revealed to us. And if we do, he will give us wisdom just as he gave it to the magi to navigate bad times. They relied on the word of God. The second thing they did that I note, they displayed trust on their journey. They displayed trust on their journey. Although they were familiar, as we've just talked together about, of the Hebrew scriptures and prophecies surrounding the coming new king, they were unaware, as I alluded to at the beginning, to the fact that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Because if they had known about Micah's prophecy, they would have never traveled to Jerusalem. Instead, they would have gone directly to Bethlehem. But they believed and relied on what they knew from the scriptures, that a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And when God gave them the sign of his star, the one called King, rising in the sky in the east, they headed off in search of the King of the Jews, even though they were unaware of their final destination. My wife and I have traveled a lot with our kids and taken great camping trips across to the Grand Canyon and My wife and I traveled from BC to Ontario shortly after we were married so she could go to Queens. I can tell you, we never headed out on any of those trips without knowing what our final destination was. They knew what they were searching for, but they did not know the exact location where they would find what they're searching for. But they kept going. Perhaps some of you are in that place right now, in the midst of these challenging times, lacking direction. Not knowing where this is going to take us. May I suggest it would serve us well to follow the example of the wise men by holding on to the promises of God's word and trust. Have a firm belief just like the wise men had who even though they did not know where their journey would end up displayed trust to carry on. And secondly even though at times during the journey they may have felt alone they displayed trust to carry on. What exactly am I referring to here that they might have felt alone? Didn't you just say there were potentially 30 of them traveling together? Listen to this next section very carefully. I know our traditional Christmas cards often depict the wise men following the star across the desert to Israel. But have you ever noticed that after they initially saw his star rise, there's no evidence that they followed the star to Jerusalem? In fact, their questioning upon arrival in Jerusalem seems to support this point. When they got to Bethlehem, they did not ask anyone questions because the star stopped over the place where they were born, where Jesus Christ was born. But yet in Jerusalem, they still had to inquire where he was born. It was not until they were told of the prophesied birthplace of the Messiah that the star reappears and guides them not only to Bethlehem, but to the exact place where the child was born. Take a look with me. Verse 2. Notice their language. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then go down to verse seven. We'll start in verse seven. I find it so amazing that who God revealed to them where the king was born was the person who actually wanted to try and kill him. Isn't God amazing? He's so powerful, so sovereign. Then Herod in verse seven called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. Ah, they now know where he was born. Go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now listen closely. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where their child was. And look at their reaction. When they saw the star, verse 10, they were overjoyed. So what am I saying here? How can this be? Did the star disappear? Well, since the Bible does not identify or explain the star, and I think that's so intentional on God's part because he didn't want us to get distracted by what that is. He wanted us to see the bigger picture, that he is sovereign and he is gracious and he is the means of grace by which people can find Jesus. So what was this then? Well, we can't be dogmatic, but it may have been the glory of the Lord, known as the Shekinah glory of God. You'll remember throughout the Old Testament, we see God's glory being manifested as light. And interesting, the Hebrew and the Greek word for star is also figuratively used to refer to a brilliant radiance. And so we know that the Shekinah glory of the Lord was manifested as light. God radiating his presence in the form of light. You remember the pillar of fire that led his children through the wilderness. What about Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai? It says that the glory of the Lord appeared to those like a consuming fire. And what else do we know about the Shekinah glory of God? It could move. It guided and pointed people to the presence of God. Stars move from the east to the west, but the, the light, the star that led the wise men from Jerusalem to Bethlehem had to go south. So in spite of not knowing the exact location where the king of the Jews was to be born, and in spite of having the sign God had given them disappear for the majority of their journey, they saw it when it rose, then traveled for 1,495 miles And then when they found out where the child was born in Bethlehem, revealed to them by God through God's grace, the star reappears and guides them for another five miles and stops over the house. So for the majority of their journey, they could have felt very alone, but they did not give up. Rather, they displayed trust on their journey, trust built on their reliance on the word of God. And as one author says, trusting God is faith in action. And what is the outcome when we trust God, when we put what we know and what we believe into action? Isaiah 26 verse 3 and 4 says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. They displayed trust on the journey. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves: Do my actions display a steadfast trust in God in the midst of difficult times? Oh, may God help us to grow in trust. Trust Him in the journey, so we too will follow. And what does that look like? Well, Jesus, our King, the one the Magi's were in search of, says in Luke nine twenty three: Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. They relied on the word of God. They displayed trust on the journey. And finally, they had one desire. In the midst of facing hurdles of inconvenience, the unknown, indifference, hostility, political pressure, there was one burning desire that motivated them to keep carrying on. And that was to find Jesus and worship him. There is nothing that compare to the worth of finding Jesus and worshiping him. The wise men obviously thought all other pursuits were of lesser significance in comparison to this one desire. So much so that they dedicated two years of their lives to finding it. So how did they find him? The answer is they found Jesus in exactly the way everybody else who has ever found Jesus, including you and me, found him. They were led to him by God's grace. John 6 verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. I love what Dr. Boyce says in his commentary here, from the very beginning of their journey, when the star first appeared to them, God was in charge of their journey as he led them step by step through all the different obstacles and hurdles to Jesus. God was behind every means of grace on their journey. As he has been, be encouraged by this, and as he will continue to be even in our journey in the midst Of difficult times. Think about it. God had already done the really hard part of bringing Jesus to them. That is what the incarnation is all about. Yes, the wise men traveled 1,500 miles from Persia to Bethlehem, but before they had even started out, God had traveled the infinitely greater distance from heaven to earth, from the throne of glory to a manger that Jesus might be found so that we who were once far off because of our sin would be granted the opportunity because of his grace to find Jesus and worship him, to repent and believe the good news that he will save his people from their sins. And when God, by his grace, allows individuals to hear the good news and then leads them to Jesus like he did the magi, people in the midst of bad times can experience joy if they act on the desire placed in them by God to meet Jesus and worship him, the king of kings, by surrendering their lives to his lordship and giving their best to him. Look how they worshiped. Verse 10 and 11, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw their child with his mother Mary and bowed down. They recognized they were before a king and worshiped him. How? By giving their best. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. John Piper says it correctly God wields the universe to make his son known and worshiped. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray that your heart is being strengthened this morning, that God did whatever he needed to do to get you to the place where he could introduce you to Jesus and you became a worshiper of Jesus, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. If you have been led to Jesus by God's grace and surrendered your life to following him, then live for this purpose. Have this one desire. Give your life for this cosmic, global purpose of God, the glad praise of Christ from all the peoples of the world. The encouragement we can take from the Magi's experience is that in the midst of bad times, we can experience joy if we act on the desire to daily meet with Jesus and worship Him. So if we find ourselves struggling to experience joy in the midst of difficult times, or if we lack the desire to worship Christ in the midst of bad times, then perhaps an honest audit of what desires really dominate our hearts and minds needs to take place. And like David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 12, we need to ask the Lord in the midst of bad times, in the midst of all the hurdles and the obstacles that are before us, restore unto us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. They had one desire, to find Jesus and worship him. The question we have to ask ourselves, what has my response to bad times revealed about my desires? So brothers and sisters, while we journey together through bad times, keep calm and carry on by relying on the word of God, holding tight to the promises that God has revealed to us through his word. Trust he is leading us. Look for those moments of grace where you see his leading. They saw the star that they had seen when it rose and they were overjoyed. Trust that he is leading us. Look for those moments of his leading and celebrate. And finally, let's prioritize our desires to ensure that meeting daily with Jesus to worship him is what is motivating us and is what truly satisfies us like the words of the old chorus, I challenge myself and I challenge you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Keep calm and carry on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be encouraged through your word. Oh, we need encouragement in the days that we live in, Father. Thank you that what we are experiencing is not new. Father, thank you that the Magi were in similar circumstances, uncertain times with hostility and indifference, not knowing exactly where their journey was taking them. But oh God, thank you for what you did in their lives that we can read about and study. And if we apply those same principles to our lives, we can keep calm and carry on through your strength. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that we're not alone. Thank you that you're leading us. And oh God, I pray that we will wake up every day with one desire. Not necessarily to get things back to normal, which we oh so desire. Yes, Lord. And you're the only one who can make that happen. But even more than that... Help us to wake up each day to desire to meet with you and worship you. Thank you for your word this morning. Help us to apply it to our lives, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, our King and Lord. Amen.